Please stand for the reading of the word from Colossians 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here. Uh, My name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. And I want to remind you that we are in a season of elder selection, and uh, that's going to continue through November 8th. That's the deadline for you to fill out a nomination form. And what we're doing together is collectively discerning who the Spirit has already selected to be the next leaders for the next season. So you can nominate both men and women, and there's two ways you can do that. One is to find a QR code. You can snap a picture right now, or you can find them kind of scattered throughout the building or in your emails, or or if technology is not your thing, uh, there are paper ballots that you can pick up at the uh, information desk. Uh, this is an important process that we as a church are doing together, so I invite you to participate if you are a member here at Highland. The second thing is I just want to, you know, follow on David Sessions' um, coattails. Uh, Fall Fest is going to be amazing, and I, I hope you come out, and I hope you have fun, And I hope you have told your friends about it. Um, It was last year about this time that Natalie and I developed a friendship with our across-the-street neighbors. He was a a pilot and a captain at Dias, and we had kids that were about the same age, and we had been hanging out quite a bit, and we invited them to come to Fall Fest, which is kind of a risk, right, when you go out to somebody that you know and say, hey, come into this part of my life. But Fall Fest is one of those Venn diagram spaces where your world and Highland can kind of intersect in a meaningful way, and somebody might see it as an on-ramp to what God is doing in their life. And so I was thrilled when they're like, sure, free candy, we'll be there. That sounds like fun. But something happened in the, in the miscommunication. We were all going to kind of caravan together. They ended up getting there about a half hour before we did, and then we couldn't find them at first. And I was nervous. And when we finally did meet up, they looked at me and they said, Shane, your church is friendly. Friendly. Thank you, Highland. You didn't let me down. Um, And they've moved on. Uh, His career has taken him to a different place. Uh, But but Highland made an impact in their life. And God's going to use that impact to do big things. And so you may come because you love candy and you're thrilled about candy and all you want to do is get some candy. You might come because you love hot dogs. I don't know why, but that might be the reason why you're at Fall Fest. You might be there just because you want to hang out and talk. All of us, whether you're signed up to volunteer, to get thrown into the dunk booth, to hand out candy, all of us are greeters today. And it doesn't matter. You might greet somebody and be like, hey, I'm so glad you came to Highland. And they're like, we've been going to first service for the last 10 years. You're like, that's cool. You just shake hands, you move on. We are all greeters this afternoon. And that's what Fall Fest is designed to do. To be that middle space between somebody who does not know who Jesus is 
in the God who desperately loves them. We're going to jump into our sermon. Uh, let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, for um, this time today, we are grateful to be gathered together, to be your body uh, here in Abilene. We are grateful for those who've gone before us, who have uh, lived lives of faith that still echo in our ears. And Father, we pray for those that will follow, that they will also hear the name of Jesus, that they will turn their hearts to you and be saved. And Father, today, this afternoon, we pray for great weather. We pray for great experience. Uh, we pray that uh, you do your work in our midst. And now, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. It's together that the church says, amen. So we're in this series called Radicalized. And, and radicalized people, this is what the research show, radicalized people see the world in fundamentally different ways. And I know this has happened to you. I know that you've encountered somebody that's been radicalized and you, you sit down and maybe it's somebody in your family, you sit down at Thanksgiving and you just start having conversations and it is clear that the source of their information is different than the source of your information. In fact, when you try to talk about common things, it is so, you're so far apart, it's difficult to even have a conversation. Just last night, I had a conversation with someone and they were certain that the Astros were going to win the World Series. I do not know where they're coming from from. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. It's, sports is one thing, but life, politics, culture, that's something else. And the research tells us that people who are radicalized listen to ideas that sound crazy until they start making sense. And then they embody those ideas and live them out fully. Even if that idea separates them from family or friends or even their own life. So I want us to ask the question, what is radical about the Christian life? And what I want this series to do is highlight some of those core values that make us different. So last week we talked about radicalized faith, that we believe that it's our job to wait on God. That Abraham waited and waited and waited for the promise of God to be revealed. Everything in the rest of Abraham's life is asking the question, will God keep the promise? After the moment when God makes a covenant, everything else in the story of Genesis with Abraham is, will God keep the promise? And there were strong temptations to seize the promise, like through Ishmael. And there were other opportunities for the promise to be corrupted, like in Egypt or with Abimelech. But God remains faithful. Now, Abraham's people, his generations, will not enter the land until 400 years later. They wait, and they wait. Radical Christians wait on God because only God's timing is right. I think the temptation for us is to seize power in our own way. And perhaps it's because we grow anxious or we grow bored or we just get ready for something and, and we don't want it not to happen. And so we seize power and we end up corrupting the kingdom because we're not waiting faithfully. 
Today, I want us to think about hope instead of faith. And I want us to think about, I want to tease out today the difference between being optimistic and being hopeful. And there are a lot of people that are optimistic about the future. I was a pessimist for most of my life. Uh, I was not optimistic about much. If things were good, it was because something terrible is coming. If things were bad, we should be grateful because it's not worse. That was just my mindset. And people would argue with me and say, hey, you need to look at a, you need to have a better outlook on life. And I just thought, you don't have the same data that I have. I thought that was the difference. Here's optimistic in, in culture. Optimism is Star Trek. Now, I know that some of you, that's an older show. You don't watch it anymore. Star Trek was basically jumped forward like four or 500 years into the future where we had solved all the problems. Like the world politics and wars, we had solved it. The problem of climate change, we had solved it. The problem of energy, we had solved it. We had built spacecraft and we were traveling to the stars. And it was this beautiful, hopeful future, optimistic future. I, I just messed it up. Optimistic future that things were going to get better. What Star Trek didn't do is explain any of those centuries about how they got there. It just said, things are going to get better, guys. It's all going to work out. All it was was positive thinking. Now, Star Trek was, was, is pretty old. In fact, most stories now don't have that same optimistic hand look. You look at uh, shows that are coming out like The Handmaid's Tale or Game of Thrones. They don't, they don't have that positive outlook about human capability and potential. I thought I was a pessimist, but what I actually was was a cynic. And you can see all sorts of cynics rising up in, in media as well. The, the, the TV show House about the doctor that um, he, he can solve, he can deduce other people's diseases, or Sherlock, or Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump. Those are great examples of, of cynics. What a cynic wants to do is remove themselves from the narrative and just see the world objectively. And when you begin to do this, you remove yourself from the story and you begin to look at the story, that sets you free to criticize the story. It sets you free to critique. Like, and any, I was doing this. Anything that looked good, I would say, you just wait. There's an underbelly to that. Somebody that rose to leadership that looked promising, I said, don't, don't put your eggs in that. It's not going to work. You're going to get let down. I thought I had a clear and unbiased perspective. But actually what I was doing was just trying to protect myself from being hurt. It wasn't clear thinking. It was cowardice. So one way to think about optimism is Star Trek. A way to think about cynicism might be Sherlock or House. But if you want to talk about hope then you need to go to the Lord of the Rings. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, Sam says. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you don't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. When the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. What are we holding on to, Sam? Frodo then asks. And you have to realize, if you don't know the story, Frodo has been tasked to carry this ring to destroy it. 
And holding the ring, bearing the ring is a corrupting influence. Holding this pain was, is hard. It creates grief and difficulty in, in, in Frodo's life. And he is at the point of giving up and breaking down and just, just quitting. He's at the point of throwing it all in. What are we holding on to, Sam? Frodo then asks. That there is some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for, his friend replies. There is a difference between hope and optimism. People confuse these things. The late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has a great quote about this. Now, he's a rabbi, and so he's speaking specifically to to Jews, but I think it's applicable to all of us. Optimism is the belief that things will get better, but hope is the belief that if we work here enough, we can make things better. Optimism requires no courage, but just naivety to be optimistic. It requires a great deal of courage to have hope. And he would go on to say that no Jew who knows their own history, often written in tears, can be optimistic about the future. But no Jew who knows the work of God can give up hope. Optimism, brothers and sisters, is not going to get us there. But what changed for me, what moved me from cynicism to hope was a desire to get in the game, to make a difference. I didn't become hopeful until I had to become a leader when somebody else was relying and depended on me. But what I found is that hope breeds resilience. Hope entered my life and hope is action. It's when we do something together that makes the situation different. When the we includes God, we can get a lot done. And I I want us to think about the book of Lamentations. That's where we're going to begin today. Well, the book of Lamentations is about the fall of Jerusalem and the exile to Babylon. And it's, it's the most devastating thing that happened to the nation of Israel. And Lamentations is the book of five poems that memorialize grief and pain of loss. But what we find is these words give a voice and a dignity to suffering. Now, most of these poems is is, is an acrostic. It's a way of writing poetry in Hebrew literature, and it just uses one letter of the alphabet to begin each line, basically. And it it creates a structure that requires creativity in the form. It's the way that Shakespeare used iambic pentameter. But if you know anything about the acrostics, then you know that that middle line is the most important line. It's the one that sings the loudest in the song. And so, in the middle of the book of Lamentations, in chapter 3, in the middle of that acrostic, hear what the writer says. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He has made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I thought of my affliction and homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it, and it is bowed down before me. But this, now we've hit the middle of the middle of this book of grief. 
But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never, ever come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. The Lord is my inheritance, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him and the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Hope shines in the darkness. But the hope that we speak of is not just for later. Now, I want you to hear me carefully. Christian hope is not just hope of a home in heaven in the future. If what you've bought into for Christianity is just kind of a promise that one day when you die, you get to go to heaven, or maybe you get to avoid hell, that's true, but that's not the whole story. And we here at Highland want you to embrace the whole story of what hope means for us. It is not just that you get to go to heaven, although that's true. It's also that you get to participate in God's unfolding kingdom now. You get to be a partner with God to create the full embodied presence of the kingdom here in Abilene right now. And how does that work? The answer is simple. It's resurrection. It's resurrection. In the book of Luke, Jesus sets up a kingdom. And when he begins his first sermon, he wants to preach about what's happening. But he doesn't preach about heaven. He preaches about what's about to happen now. Now, in the book of Mark, if you want to know what Mark is concerned about, it wants to show that Jesus has power. He has power over demons. He has power over sickness. He has power over disease. If you want to know what Jesus is focused on in the book of Matthew, it's that he is Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures that point to who he is going to be. But in Luke, Jesus is concer- uh, Luke is concerned about Jesus being the the Savior, which is fascinating because that's a Greek term. It's not a, a Jewish term like Messiah. What he wants to show is that Jesus can save us. And Jesus' inaugural sermon is not about the future. It is about what you are about to see happen. The prisoners will be released, and the poor will be set free, and those who are blind will begin to see, and those who are lame begin to walk. And that's exactly what happens next. In Luke, Jesus sets up the kingdom, and it's culminated in the cross, which isn't the story that you would expect if you were a good Roman hearing about that salvation story. That's not the way you expect the story to end. It's not supposed to die in a humiliating, shameful death. It's supposed to die in a glorious, victorious death. But that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus was faithful, even to the point of death, God reaches down and raises Jesus out from the grave. His death becomes a victorious conquering of evil, and then he is raised into newness of life. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we share in that resurrection. That's what happened today, this morning, when we put on baptism, is that we enact the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and we become new. The story begins in Luke, but it continues in Acts. And Peter and uh, Paul in particular carry that voice for Luke through the rest of the story. This is what they preach. Peter at Pentecost in Acts 2, he's quoting the Psalms. He said, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand, so I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. At the end of the story, that's the beginning of Acts. At the end of Acts, and Acts, and Paul, uh, Acts 24, Paul is on trial in Rome. He's about 
This is the end of the story for him. Jews have, have sent him there and accused him there. And this is what he says. Neither can they, that is those accusers, can prove to you the charge that they now bring against me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way, that's the Christians, according to the Christians, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our ancestors, believing everything laid down according to the law or written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, a hope that they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection both of the righteous and the unrighteous. This is our hope. But it's not a hope that's going to happen one day. It's a hope that we get to engage in. And I think this is what Paul is talking about when he writes to the church in Colossae. The church in Colossae had been kind of tipped over on its side and shaken up. And, and teachers had brought in ideas that they weren't so sure about. And they were uncertain about the course of the future, about who Jesus truly was. And so Paul writes to them to tell them that Jesus is preeminent over all creation, Lord of all human rulers and cosmic powers, that Jesus is the greatest of all, and that God acted through Christ to secure redemption and reconciliation for all who put their faith in him. Christ has defeated the powers of darkness on the cross. And then key into this point, this is Colossians 3, the text that was read this morning. Believers are in Christ, and so they share in Christ's death and resurrection, and new life, and all of Christ's fullness. Let me read it again, Colossians 3, chapter 1. So if you've been raised in Christ, seek these things that are above, where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then also you will be revealed with him in glory. What Paul is saying is that you will never die. Your life is a ray that will go on forever. Your existence in the kingdom is sure and secured by the work of Jesus Christ. You will never die. In fact, the rest of your life is going to be spent learning what it means to be part of God's kingdom and learning what it means to shape your heart for a suitable place for Christ to dwell. That's the rest of our purpose. It's the rest of our journey. Hope is having the courage to do the work now. So what do people look like when they're radicalized by hope? What does it look like how do we live in such a way that when we have that Thanksgiving conversation, that we just sound crazy? And we keep sounding crazy until all of a sudden it starts making sense. Maybe it's because we fight and we shine in the darkness. We push back against despair and loss and grief. We honor it for what it is, but we know that is not the end of the story because great is God's faithfulness. Maybe it looks like urban light in Thailand where we work to partner to push back against the darkness, trying to couch on those kids that are being uh, trafficked, human trafficked. Maybe it looks like our work in E2 that we partner with to bring the homeless and the prisoners out of jail and give them a new life and a new purpose, a new place to go and a place to be. Maybe it's the work of radical hospitality and care, even in a place as ordinary as Abilene. 
I want you to imagine today. As you go to Fall Fest and it's your job to grab a bag of candy and it's just like Snickers and Kit Kats and two other kinds that you don't like. And all you're doing is you're putting candy in a kid's bag. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. But I wonder if we could draw back the curtain and see how that action of courage and hope to be hospitable to some child in this city might just change their life, might just change our city. Because when we partner with God, when we work with God, we will see nothing less than the reconciliation and the restoration of the world. It will be nothing less. Your hope is not fragile. Your hope is not frail. It is not a flickering light about to be blown out. Your hope is full of courage because there is still good in this world that's worth fighting for. Would you please stand for our benediction? Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. They're available to you. If, if you have need of prayer and you want to talk to one of these team members or one of our elders, they're going to be here for you, uh, whether that's a conversation following the service or a cup of coffee on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, they are available for you. Let me offer you this benediction as we leave today. Brothers and sisters, be light in the darkness. Shine with boldness and do not be afraid, for your courage is the hope of the world. Go in peace.